you, and I'm going to ask you tonight if you'll turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 16, and I want us to examine this jailer that was converted to Christ, but really what I want to deal with is the Bible way to help us minister to people that are thinking about suicide. You probably are aware that during the COVID era, there were a lot of people who took their lives. But I want you to see that in the scripture, there are things we can do when we know if people are possibly about to make that kind of attempt. So in Acts 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening or awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. So that's where I'll stop. I'll probably teach a little further. But I want us to see what happens when a person believes what are some of the circumstances that God might use or create in order for people to come to faith. And then at the same time, what does a transformed life look like? Uh, again, I've told you that in the past two years, we have heard of a lot of people who, because of discouragement and sadness, have attempted to take their life or may have succeeded in doing so. I was trying to sit back and count the number of people indirectly or directly that I've been connected with since I've been out here where folks have harmed themselves in, in that kind of way. And I came to over 70. If you just think of the number of people, and it's hardly a month that goes by that I don't get a phone call from somebody that goes to another church and the conversation normally goes like this. Are you Pastor Darrell? Say yes. Uh, somebody called me or somebody told me that you might be able to help my boy or help my daughter. And would you be kind enough to spend just a little bit of time with them? And then we do so. But I think it's also important in, in a church that we understand the power of salvation. Now in verse 25, you can see it's midnight when all of this praying and praising is going on. Paul and Silas are the ones singing loud enough for the prisoners to hear them, as it says. We know in verse 23 that they were physically beaten, then physically restrained. But with all the difficulties they had in their body, with the wounds that were there, the stripes laid upon their backs, they still praised God. So I want you to see immediately that regardless of our circumstances, we can praise the king. We can worship God however bad we think things might be. Well, in the middle of the praise service and the prayer meeting, there's an earthquake, and you can see where it obviously affected the foundation of the prison so that it broke 
the doors so that the doors open and all of the prisoners shackles and chains were loosed and they had an opportunity to run that's what the scripture says God uses circumstances sometimes to free people and I don't just mean free people uh, physically I'm talking about spiritually there are circumstances that are created in our lives sometimes, whether God uses the natural means or whether he's the cause of it, that can certainly open our eyes to see things differently. Now, in verse 27, there was a man here who's the jailer. He was asleep. Now, obviously, if he was asleep, that means that he believed the prisoners were secure enough to where he could fall asleep and he didn't have to worry about it. Or he shouldn't have been sleeping at all and he fell asleep on the job. Whatever the case, he did not expect any prison doors to be open once he opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes and awakened from his sleep and he realized that the doors were open, he thought in the middle of all of this darkness that if he ends up having to stand before the Roman authorities, he's probably going to receive a sentence of death himself. Whatever happened, the, the difference between when he went to sleep and now when he has awakened, he has a sense of despair and he wants to take his life. Now notice how fast that happened. When people are overwhelmed with discouragement, despair, sometimes sorrow, if they don't get control of their thoughts, the devil will take advantage of that occasion and he may very well tell them the best thing you can do right now is end it all and whenever you read a letter or hear of a letter that's been left behind by someone who's committed suicide oftentimes you will immediately be able to sense the hopelessness the discouragement the gloom the anguish Again, this happened quickly. When he went to sleep, I don't think he was thinking about killing himself. But now that he's awake and the circumstances have changed, now he's thinking about self-destruction. He pulls out his own sword. He was going to take his own life. He wasn't expecting someone else to do it. So when we run into this, we certainly definitely need to be prayerful and here in a moment, Paul is going to tell the man not to harm himself. But I want you to understand, Paul and Silas were prepared for this because Paul and Silas had built themselves up with prayer and praise. And people like you and me, we should pray, we should worship God so that we fill the prison with rejoicing. Other folks who are incarcerated in sin, other people who are imprisoned by their own iniquity, they don't realize that God can bring them out just like that, and he can create the kind of circumstances that'll open their eyes to see it. Now, going along with this scripture here, I would like to read a verse out of Ephesians 5, and it is verse number 14, and it says, Why... He says, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now to back up to verse 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. 
Before we became Christian, we lived in sin. In sin, everything is dark. We don't have the perspective or the outlook on life that God wants us to have. So figuratively, we are asleep or dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. Once a person hears the gospel and that penetrating light comes in to a person's life, it's at that point where the Lord begins to manifest areas or attitudes in our heart that need to be dealt with. And we would probably be surprised by what is down here in the caverns of our heart if the Lord really turned the searchlight on. Because I think there may be things down there we don't realize is there. One person said it this way, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? See? So God knows what's in me even when I can't really perceive what is in there. I would say right now it is doubtful that I would do such and such thing. He knows whether or not I'd really do it. You could sit there and say, oh, no, there's no way I'd do this or I'd do that. He knows what's in the depths of your heart, what we're capable of. So going back to Acts chapter 16, the jailer is asleep physically, but he's also asleep spiritually. He opens his eyes and the prison doors are open naturally, but he doesn't realize that the prison door was opened by Christ spiritually. And this is what is going to change his life because the whole process of him attempting to take his life, he must have been making some kind of noise. He must have been yelling or screaming about the circumstances of the escapees because in verse 28, Paul lifts up his voice and says, don't harm yourself. How would Paul have known that in the darkness? Paul must have been listening. He must have heard the anguish and the agony in the man's, in the man's voice. But, but Paul cried out. So, so this is what we do. If, if you ever know of someone close to you, related to you, that is thinking about taking their life. Or you have heard about somebody attempting to take their life and you happen to be able to get close to them and talk to them. Speak to them just like the man of God Paul did and say, don't harm yourself. There is a reason to live. You don't have to take your life. And I wish that more and more people would really consider what they're leaving behind when they take their life in this kind of a way. They leave behind broken hearts. They leave behind unanswered questions. They leave behind difficulties that some people without God are never going to ever overcome. And so many people think, if I do this, it'll make life easier for my children or easier for my family. It doesn't make it easier for anyone. Not at all. But, but there's always despair connected with it. The last chapter of 1 Samuel, you'll know that Saul and his family are out on the battlefield and his sons are killed. And Saul realized that the end was near for him, and he didn't want the enemy to capture him, then kill him, 
and then abuse him. That is to say, hang him up and make a mockery of him or deface his body in some way. So he told his armor bearer, kill me. And he said, absolutely not. So what does Saul do? He falls on his own sword, lays there, then he dies. The scripture says Saul's armor bearer, the servant, looked over there at his master. And once he realized, I don't have the king to labor for anymore. That's essentially the end of my path, my road. He sees nothing ahead for him in his future. What does the armor bearer do? He takes his life. So sometimes the effect of one person harming themselves, if people don't control their thoughts and meditate on the word of God, it'll lead to a second person taking their life. Then a third person taking their life. And believe me when I tell you, I've seen families where numbers of people have attempted to take their lives. And I've seen families where numbers of people succeeded in self-murder. It doesn't have to be that way. Paul opens up his mouth and he says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. That is to say, you woke up and your eyes in all of this darkness led you to believe that everybody had fled. But I want you to understand, sir, things are not what they seem. We're still here. And this is what happens when a person mentally is in that place where they want to take their lives. They have been deluded. They've been deceived. The adversary has caused them to believe there is no other option for you. But I'm telling you, things aren't always what they seem. There is another option. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the one that can give us hope. He's the hope of glory. Jesus is the one that can give us power. He's the one that comes to reside within us. And the scripture says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Can you say amen? It's true. There's no doubt about it. Okay. In verse 29, a light was called for and the gentleman sprang in and he came and fell down at Paul and Silas' feet. Now, several hours before, he was their jailer, and he probably handled them roughly. But notice now where he is, at their feet. You see how God's able to turn circumstances around? We, we need to be very careful with how we treat people, even if you think they're guilty of this or guilty of that, because you'll never know in your pride or in your rough treatment of people, you think, okay, I'm going to be disconnected from this person. I'll never have to deal with them again. But your, your road may very well be winding and turning and you can't see the end of it. And God may be bringing you right back to this person. Maybe bringing you right back to him. You never see it at all. But how many times has that happened where somebody maybe didn't like you or was opposed to you, but then later on, here they are right here in your presence? Yeah. I, I look back now and and I can recall going to preach the gospel in different places and people fought me because I came to preach the gospel in a certain place. And in fighting me, they didn't want me there. They didn't want me to succeed. They didn't want the blessing of God on me. But then in in the end, 
I've watched on several occasions where the ones that fought me are then listening to me preach week after week. Let's see. You never know how God will turn a situation. But if you're filled with prayer and praise, it'll help put a muzzle on you and keep you from saying some things that could isolate and alienate uh, people from you. I, I haven't always been, been the best at that, but I've been better than some. You know, and, and we want God to help us to have a sanctified mind, but at the same time, a sanctified tongue. Isn't a sanctified tongue a good thing, Brother Wentworth? It's a good thing. Absolutely. Brother Woods, isn't it? it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good thing. And if, if we have that, then God guards us. Because like I said, you'll never know. God may have you or me at somebody's feet. So we, we have to have to be wise in how we handle things. Now, in verse 30, notice the question here. Because he brought these people out and he said, what must I do to be saved? Now, why is he asking a question like that? Well, according to the last sentence of verse 25, the prisoners heard Paul and Silas singing. So, you know, the jailer heard it, too. If he's asking them about salvation, obviously he's aware of what they've been preaching and he knows what they've been singing. Some people who are what we call Calvinists or predestinarians, they believe God predestined some to be saved and others to be lost. And with that belief system, they think the only way a person can have faith in God is that they have to be regenerated. So God regenerates them first so that they can believe. Now, what the Bible teaches is you believe and then you're born again. But the Calvinists would say you're born again so that you can believe. But notice this man's question. He said, what must I do to be saved? He knew he wasn't saved. So obviously regeneration would come in first for him. He's wanting to know what must I do. Now that's the, that's the key. What must I do? The battles have been fought over what we call works in salvation. And in the Reformation, everybody was saying, if you can say that you have free will and you believe on your own, then you're, you're saving yourself. That's what they'll say. Well, that's, that's untrue. When this man asked the question, what must I do to be saved? He's not talking about anything with regard to works salvation. He's simply saying, I need to know what I'm obligated to do. And if the Lord said I must be saved, then I may be saved. And we are free moral agents. We have a free will. Nobody forced you to become a Christian. You made the choice. And you asked the same question this man asked. What do I have to do to become a Christian? And Paul answered it easily in verse 31. He just said, believe. That's it. Believe. Nothing more, nothing less. He didn't say you need to go down to the river and be baptized. He didn't say you need to go to the front of the church and have somebody sprinkle you or pour water on you. He, said, he didn't say you had to go and take communion anywhere. He just said, believe. That is the foundational precept a person becoming a Christian if he's asking what must I do to be saved he's under conviction and if he's asking about salvation then in his heart he knows he's a sinner 
Obviously, he knows he's, he has to be saved from sin. So when Paul tells him to believe and you shall be saved, then that man hears immediately my life can be changed. And that's what happened to you and that's what happened to me. Now, here is, here is something else worth uh, pondering, though. Verse 31 says, you will be saved. So faith in God produces salvation. That's Ephesians 2, by grace are ye saved through faith as not of yourself. It is the gift of God. But then it says, you shall be saved and your what? Your house. So is, is Paul saying that just because you become a Christian that everybody in your house is automatically saved? No. No. It's an individual. It's a personal thing. When I became a Christian, it did not mean that my mom, my dad, and my siblings became Christian. And when you were born into your home, if your mom and dad were Christian, it did not mean you automatically were saved. The scripture here says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou, that's the old English, you singular, you shall be saved. But the household is going to be saved on the same basis you're going to be saved. Individual, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'll be honest, I, I think it would really be nice if everybody would be saved just because one got saved. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful if, if what's that sound there, man? If, if your kids were automatically saved because you were a Christian, then you could tell them, look, it doesn't matter what you do, how you live, you're saved. And you're not going to be able to escape the salvation that the Lord has provided for you. But that is not what the Bible teaches. So verse 32. They spoke to him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. They spoke to him individually. And then they went home and spoke to his family corporately. I remember right about maybe... A year, two years into us having this church right here, there was a family in town and they invited me to come to their house and do a Bible study just for their family. So Tiffany and I, we got in the car, drove to this house and, and then uh, the family was gathered. And so I took the Bible, opened up the Bible and held a Bible study and taught them the word of God. Just privately. Well, because of that, because of that one teaching, that one Bible study, I still see uh, people from that family in the church here weekly. You see? Because we held the Bible study. Sometimes talking to people privately is important, but you have to let people know you are not saved just because your mom and dad are saved. And you're not a Christian just because your grandparents are Christian. So again, verse 32, they spake to him the word of the Lord. They did not talk to him about any other faith. Paul had said in verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not say believe upon Mormonism. He didn't say believe on Buddhism. 
He didn't say believe upon the Greek gods or the Roman gods, all of which were in existence at that time, the Greek and Roman gods. But he said specifically, it's a narrow way. It's a narrow road. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't write this. Neither did you. So there's no sense in arguing with somebody or getting mad with somebody because they don't accept your belief. And don't even get offended at people who don't believe what the Bible says. Just stick with the book. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. All right. Now, here's what happened to this man who obeyed what Paul said. In verse 33, the same hour of the night. What, What time is this? Well, verse 25 tells us when it all started at midnight. So back down here, verse 33 uh, we, we've had the praise and service and we've had the earthquake. So now it's been some time he's been preached to. And he says, let's go and wash their stripes. That's a man whose life has been transformed. That's a jailer who was housing prisoners. But now, having heard the gospel from Paul and Silas, he realizes these folks have been brutally beaten. They have now led me out of sin into a relationship with the Lord, what can I do for them? And they go home to this man's house, and he cleans their back. Now, can you, can you imagine how humbling that, that must have been? Transformed life. He, he's there with his wife or whoever else, and they're taking wet cloths, or whatever else, butter or something, oils, and putting in there, and they're doing whatever they can to try to deal with those swollen stripes on the back, all those lacerations. And, and I'm saying this because a transformed life is something that's visible immediately. Immediately. We, we think sometimes if a person gets saved, they may not show fruit for six months. Oh, no. No, in the Bible, you get saved, people knew it immediately. They knew something happened. All of a sudden, you were going in this direction, headed west, then pretty soon, 180 degrees, you're headed east because something has happened inside of you. And if a person were to tell me that uh, their cousin was saved in January 2019, but fruit wasn't manifested until uh, February of 2022, then I'm probably going to ask some questions about the seed of which they were born. Because the Bible says we're born of incorruptible seed. And all the examples I have in the Gospels of people who started following the Lord with their whole heart, their lives changed immediately. Mary Magdalene, Peter, Matthew. When I come into the book of Acts and I look at people giving their hearts to the Lord, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then 5,000. And then more people individually. Something happened immediately. They were saved. But when I go back and read some of those old Puritan diaries of people agonizing for six months and nine months trying to find salvation, I know that they were not even looking for what's in here. See, it doesn't take that long. If, If a man or woman genuinely wants to know the Lord, they can take their heart and put it in God's hands. I was ministering to someone here not too long ago. And they were telling me how they have felt abandoned and uh, just circumstances have been against them. Their closest 
uh, kin and, f- and friends have been opposed to them, and, and they were asking me just about why these kinds of things happen, and I had to explain to them, in your adult years, you chose not to serve God. So that means your life was not controlled by Scripture. So every decision you've made in your adult years, you have made them on the basis of your own logic and your own rationale. Your life is a product of your own decisions. Your own decisions. If you want a better future, then you have to come under the authority and submission to the word of God so that the words of God will control your attitude, the decisions that you make, And the only way you're going to come under that authority is if you take your heart, put it in God's hand and say, Lord, I surrender wholly and fully to you. You do that, then it doesn't matter if your enemies, your family, and your friends are opposed to you. If God is for you, who can be against you? It's all about decisions that that, that we make. So this man had a transformed life and he washed their stripes And then the Bible says, was baptized. He and all of his, that's all his family, straightway. So if this man couldn't be saved, in verse 31, for all of his household, then you can see in verse 32, he couldn't hear the word of God for all of his household. Each of them had to hear it individually. And then when it came to baptism, he couldn't be baptized for all of his family members. They individually had to be baptized. Yeah. You know, I still remember we had that baptism down at the river, and uh, we had a, a number of people uh, on that occasion that, that we were doing. But everybody was down there because they wanted to be there. Then, of course, uh, you up on the bank, I'm down here in the water, then you'd sing, and then the people individually start coming down there in, in the water, and then we baptize them, as Matthew says, the end of Matthew, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it was an individual thing. I didn't talk anybody into coming down there. Everybody who came into the water came because they wanted to come. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's how it always should be. Well, uh, I still remember getting in that water and just waiting, and, and uh, here is uh, Megan coming down there in that water. So it's time for me to take her and, and dunk her. And, and right when I grabbed her to put her down there, then she reaches out with both legs and then clamps me and then grabs me around the neck. And she's trying to pull me down under the water just to see if she could get me down there. But, of course, at that time in her life, she was so young and so thin, it was like me holding a pillow. So I just kind of went down and came back up. So sometimes you have some funny moments in these, these baptisms. But even then, she was down there in the water because she wanted to be there. See, she wanted to be there. Same hour of the night, the whole family was baptized. That's beautiful. There was no 18-week class to teach them how to disbelieve in the Word of God. They were baptized immediately. And I, I still think that's a good thing. If you find somebody that gives their hearts to the Lord and they really love the King, look, if they want to get in the water as soon as possible, get them in the water as soon as possible. 
And and if that's how they want to do it, that's that's fine. But I've done it in the bathtub. I've gone to other churches and used their baptismals. We've done it in the river. Uh, anywhere we need to get somebody in the water, I'm just as happy to get them in the water, even if they don't want to wait for a certain time frame. Because it's a testimony. They're saying to people, I love God. I believe in him. Okay, here's something that's interesting. Verse 34. This man brings them into the house, and he puts meat out there, food in front of them. Again, the first sentence of verse 25 says, at midnight they were having a church service. And then they had the earthquake. And then the man tried to take his life. And then they preached the gospel to him. Then he ministers to Paul and Silas physically. And now it looks like they are sitting down to have a meal. How many people like to eat this late at night? Oh, wow. See, I'm telling you, I always thought this was a God thing. I did. I've always thought this was a God thing. I go preach meeting sometime. We don't get out of church till 11 o'clock. And then here it is, 1130, 1145. We're at an all-night 24-hour diner sitting down to eat. And folks are saying, I just don't know if I should eat this late because this food isn't going to affect me the right way. But you can see right here from the text, this is a God thing. This is inspired. <laughs> this is inspired activity, folks. Let's enjoy what the king has, has provided. Okay, so they're rejoicing, and that's what food normally does. Food, fun, fellowship, family. And, you know, aside from me joking and making light of this, I, I just want you to understand that if this man has his family preparing a meal for Paul and Silas, he considers Paul and Silas to be special people. You know as well as I do, there aren't too many people that's going to get up and prepare food for somebody this late at night. Let's not forget the story of uh, the man that knocked on somebody's door in the middle of the night and said, Look, I, I don't have anything to put before a friend of mine who's come to visit. Can you give me some loaves of bread? And that man didn't want to open up the door himself. So here you have someone well after midnight that is feeding the, the, man, the men of God, because they have led them into a greater relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go into someone's house, the Bible says sit down and eat what is prepared or set before you and not complain. I don't know what they ate. may not even have been something that great, but whatever was set before them, they did eat. Now the scripture says in verse 34 there, they then rejoiced. Here was a man that a couple of hours ago was ready to kill himself. But now he's rejoicing in God. You see what happens? A man was in a, in a period of depression where he wanted to end it all, but because of the entrance of the Lord Jesus into his heart, he now rejoices with Paul and Silas and his whole family. I think that joy is one of the things that's an antidote to the kind of depression that leads, leads to suicide. And God doesn't ever want you to be going down that road. He doesn't want me to go down that road, but the devil wants every one of us to go down that road. 
He's an evil devil. So verse 34 says, believing in God with all his house. That's our desire to see every person, every member of our family serving God. I pray God brings that to pass in every generation in your family. That your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren will know who the Lord is, raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the word of the Lord, and that it will go from one generation to the next generation. And uh, this is where we can see it clearly. Okay, one final thought here in verse 27. I want to reiterate where the man went to bed or went to sleep without any thought at all of death. But when he arose, he would have killed himself. Think of how fast his emotional state changed. Think of how fast. One moment you're talking with someone and everything is okay. The next moment that same person has stabbed themselves or tried to harm themselves. I've seen them where they've cut their wrists and didn't fulfill the, uh, the, the, the job like they wanted to when they wanted to take themselves out. But the thing is, when you ask a question, they'll tell you their mind was just flooded with those thoughts. Yeah, flooded with them. And I've had people tell me over and over again, Pastor, I was with them two or three days before. I never even saw it coming. And I told them, you don't always see it coming. Because with the jailer, nobody could have said this man was mentally unstable. Nobody could have said this man was prone to it. He was bipolar in his, uh, in his emotional state. This man had a circumstance that arose and immediately he thought, I need to take, take my life. And it happens to people that way. I prayed for a girl one time. She'd come to one of the other churches. And uh, she'd come down to the altar, wanted me to pray. And so I said, what are we praying about? And she said, well, I'm, I'm hearing voices. And, and the voices are telling me to kill myself. And I said, well, do you think these voices are God? She said, No. I said, well, then who do you think is talking to you? She said, likely the devil. I said, do you normally obey what the devil tells you to do? She said, no, I don't. Then I said, you don't have to worry about obeying this voice at all if you know that God is the one that would never tell you to do something like this. But I said, however, I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to take authority over this spirit of death that wants to see you destroy because more than anything else, what I hear from you is that you have a fear of death. And so I was talking with her and I was telling her uh, a few things just to encourage her. And out of her mouth, she kept saying stuff like this. Well, I, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome these voices. Well, if you don't believe God's going to help you overcome the voices, then you're probably not going to overcome the voices. You have to believe that the scripture says we overcome this world by our faith. Our faith. I said, when I prayed for you, I want you to believe that the power of God is going to cause 
all of these voices to stop, that the devil who's got, got your head in a vice grip, that he's going to have to let you grow and that you are going to be free. I said, can you believe that? She said, I just don't know. I've had so many people pray for me. I said, well, why did you come down here then? She said, well, I came down here because I wanted prayer. I said, you want prayer? Do you want the ritual of prayer? Do you want deliverance? I guess I never thought about it that way. I said, if you just want people to pray over you, you'll find them every day. But if you want to be free of this, I'll pray for you. And I did. And finally, she said she wanted to be free. And I, I, I sit and I watch her. And, and, and see her, and then I ask her when I see her from time to time, do you hear them voices anymore? I don't. I don't. And I said, let's believe you won't ever hear them again. So the, the devil wants to put in our heads thoughts that are ungodly, but this head, as we learned in Sunday school last week, this head is a citadel. It's a stronghold. And we're to bring every thought captive. You're to be your own individual jailer. You don't have to let any thoughts escape and enter into that mind that you don't want to. And the devil is constantly trying to put his own thoughts inside that head. You've got to make the decision that you are not going to allow the adversary to put his own stuff in your head. Amen? Amen. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and meditate on the word of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we appreciate how wonderful you are. We pray, God, that you would help us to stand strong in the middle of all of this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, 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 amen.